0: Good morning. It's good to be with you all. Uh, thank you, Robin, for that uh, fabulous introduction. I appreciate that. Hey, over the last uh, several weeks, we have been studying the Beatitudes. Uh, the Beatitudes are a handful of statements that Jesus made in one of his probably most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, and if you have your Bible, you can turn there now, Matthew chapter Five. If you don't have a Bible, there are several Bibles on the floor around you and seats under the seats around you. I invite you to grab one of those. And I'm going to read uh, from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. So you can follow along as I turn there uh, and as I read through the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, verse 1. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said in verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who, pers- who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know, in week one of the series, we looked at that first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, we, and Jesus was essentially saying, blessed are those who recognize that they are completely and totally dependent on God. In week two, we looked at verse four, blessed are those who mourn, that in light of God's holiness, Jesus says we ought to mourn over our sin and the sin and the brokenness of the world. In week three, we looked at verse five, blessed are the meek, and this is, this is the humble. And Jesus was saying, blessed are those who resist the temptation to live for self, and instead live a life in humble submission to God. And last week, in week Four. we looked at verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And Jesus was saying that nothing in this life is ever going to truly satisfy your hunger apart from living for God and living according to God's ways. And this morning, I believe Jesus comes to us in verse 7. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Well, before we dive into this specific statement that Jesus made today, I'd love for us to pray. You know, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is alive and well today, that he's sitting at the right hand of our Heavenly Father, that he sees you and me. And so before we uh, unpack this message, I thought we should maybe just pray to the guy who said this statement 2,000 years ago and ask him, ask him to help us understand it and to learn what he wants us to learn. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, and I'm so thankful for your love for us. And I'm thankful, Jesus, that you demonstrated what a merciful person looks like. I'm so thankful, God, that you have shown us mercy. Lord, I know that you have got something for each one of us here this morning. I know that we're not here by accident, but that you have something to say to us. Lord, I pray that you would, over the next half hour, you would encourage our hearts where we need encouragement. You would give us guidance where we need guidance. That you would rebuke us where we need rebuking. That you would correct us where we need correcting. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you let us hear your voice today? Would you give us your wisdom and understanding? Open our hearts and our minds, Lord Jesus, this morning. Help us to learn from you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I think if you put this statement of Jesus's into our own words today, you might be able to say something like, this god has been merciful to us and he desires for us to be merciful to others now we're going to unpack this statement by asking three questions first what is mercy second where does mercy come from and third what is a merciful person what does a merciful merciful person look like Now, there are a lot of times that we hear mercy used alongside with the word grace, right? That's kind of a counterpart. We hear a lot about grace and mercy. They kind of go together. And we've said before here at Genesis that grace is being given something you don't deserve. When you don't show up for work because you were sick and your employer pays you anyway, in a way, that's grace. You are getting something you did not earn or something you did not deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is not being given something you do deserve or more simply put, it's a punishment withheld. So when I tell my daughter not to eat a cookie, but she takes one and eats it anyway, mercy is me letting her off the hook and not punishing for her for her disobedience. It's also not great parenting, and I don't recommend it. Mercy is a punishment withheld. But there's also an element to mercy that has to do with forgiveness. In the cookie illustration, there's, uh, there's forgiveness of disobedience. I told you not to take that cookie. You took it anyway, and I choose to forgive you. So forgiveness is given. Punishment is withheld. But there's one dimension of mercy that I really want us to focus on this morning, and that's the motivation behind mercy. Mercy. You know, in the Old Testament, there are a couple of different words that are used somewhat interchangeably with the word mercy. And depending on what version of the Bible you read, you may find the word mercy or you may find the word kindness or compassion. The Hebrew word looks like this. Here's what it looks like in Hebrew. Well, we don't have the symbol, but the Hebrew word translated in English is uh, that. And it's actually pronounced chesed. Chesed. I want you to say this with me. You have got to use the little thing that hangs in the back of your mouth, the, the back of your tongue, the little you know, the punching bag thing. You really got to get that into. It. Everybody, say it with me: one, two, three. Chesed. We, we can do better. One more. One, two, three. Chesed. Well, it said uh, this word is used over 278 times in the Old Testament. Uh, we could say it a few more times here this morning, but I think we'll just move on. That word can be translated mercy, but it could also be translated as kindness or compassion. And there, these subtle differences are really important for us to understand the motivation and heart behind mercy. Let me give you a couple examples. In Micah 6, 8, in the NIV, it says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so, you have that in the NIV, but in the ESV, it transi- translates it like this. Uh, he has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And so there's mercy used interchangeably with kindness. Or how about this one? In Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23, the ESV says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies... Never come to an end. They are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. Maybe you've heard that quoted before. The NIV says it this way. Because of the Lord's great, great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. So kindness and compassion are words that are also used to describe mercy and they help they help. A little little southern accent coming out there. They help. They help. They help. He said. uh, They help to reveal the motivation or the heart behind mercy. Listen, true biblical mercy is this. It's mercy motivated by kindness and compassion because in showing a person mercy, you care about their best interests. You have their well-being in mind. That's what love is. And so you can forgive someone. But the truth is, God calls us to forgive with mercy. You know, you can forgive without showing mercy. I've heard stories, I bet you have too, of someone running up uh, an enormous amount of credit card debt. And sometimes when this happens, the credit card company will accept partial payment uh, of that debt as a payment in full. And so you, a person may owe $50,000 on a credit card or in credit card debt, and they may be able to negotiate a payment of $30,000. And the other $20,000 is forgiven. Well, is that mercy? I don't think so. Here's why. Because that decision or that act of forgiveness on on the part of the credit card company was not likely motivated by compassion or kindness. In fact, the real reason companies do this is because they figure they're going to make more money if they go ahead and settle than if they try to pursue the full amount. And so their motivation is not your well-being. It's actually selfish. They're more concerned about their own well-being. That's not kindness or compassion. That's not mercy. That's just good business on their part. So again, mercy is motivated by compassion. Instead of punishing someone, it is showing love and kindness because you have their well-being in mind. Another way to say it is this, and this is in your notes. Mercy is a debt forgiven, a punishment withheld, and it's compassion even when wrath would be justified. You know, in Luke chapter 6, we find a parallel passage to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. In Luke chapter 6, in that account, Jesus is going to really expand on and explain what mercy is. Listen to what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them, Verse 30, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. I want to pause right here for a moment. We often quote Jesus here, don't we? Do to others as you have them do to you. We say treat others the way you want them to treat you. As I studied this week, I caught something I'd never seen before. I want you to notice the context in which Jesus makes this statement. He makes the statement after listing several ways that people sin against one another. Cursing, mistreating, slapping in the face, stealing. It's in light of this context that I think you could say uh, say what Jesus is saying maybe another way. When someone sins against you, Jesus is saying, treat them the way you want others to treat you when you sin against them. When you sin against someone How do you want them to treat you? You've had that feeling before, right? In some way, you have sinned against someone, whether you have criticized them with your words, or you've been harsh with them, or you've been impatient with them, or you've been arrogant towards them, you've judged them. How would you like for them to treat you in the midst of when you sin against them? I think that's what Jesus is really saying here. Wouldn't you want them to be merciful towards you? I know I do. Let's keep reading. Verse 32. Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what credit, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect payment, what credit is that to you? Jesus says, even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies and do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Listen to what Jesus says here. Then your reward will be great and you will be called children of the Most High because he, because God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, Jesus says, just as your father is merciful. Notice that Jesus said God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Therefore, be merciful just as he is. Look at First Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Peter says this to us. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I want you to check this out. They were we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. We were once without mercy, but now we have received God's mercy. Peter's speaking of a before and after here, but what's he what's in the center? What's, what's this statement revolving around? It's Jesus Christ. It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Before Jesus, we were dead in our sins and separated from God. We were not a people and we were without mercy. But in Christ, God has been merciful to us. Ephesians 2 puts it this way. Because of his great love for us, God, who is what? Rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So mercy finds its beginning in God, who is described as being rich in mercy. And it's because of God's great love for us. It's because he had our well-being in mind. It's because he was motivated by by compassion for us that he withheld punishing us for our sins. And instead, he placed the punishment that we deserve on Jesus. And because of Jesus, our debt has been forgiven. And in Jesus, God has shown us great love and kindness In Jesus, God has been merciful to you and me. And God's mercy wasn't just a one-time act at the cross. Lamentation says his mercy is new for us every single day. Every single day. I think we so often fail to grasp the mercy God shows us on a daily basis. And that's where mercy comes from. Mercy is from God, if you're taking notes. Mercy is from God. See, in the first four Beatitudes, I want you to see this. In the first four Beatitudes, Jesus paints a picture of how mercy is received. You must be a person who's poor in spirit, broken by sin and sin of the world. You must be humble. You must live in submission to the Lord, hungering for true righteousness. And what's God's response to a person who has a heart like that? He gives you mercy. He shows you mercy. Listen to what author and pastor John Piper says about this. He says, the key to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. You get the power to show mercy from the real feeling in your heart that you owe everything to sheer divine mercy. See, when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, he assumes you understand how much mercy you have been shown by God. And just as you've been shown mercy, he asks us, therefore, to show mercy to others. Do you realize the depth of the mercy that God has shown us? I think when we begin to grasp that, we begin to wrap our hearts around that, that's when we begin to show mercy towards others. But what's this practically look like? Well, Jesus is our model. He's our model for life. He's our model for ministry. Jesus always modeled his own teaching. Jesus was the most merciful person who ever walked the face of the earth. And so we're going to look at three things today that I think Jesus models for us in being merciful. First, Jesus sees the need. Second, Jesus is motivated by compassion. And thirdly, he takes action. Let's look at number one. He sees the need. Jesus had this unique ability to look beyond the surface and look beyond a person's sin and see the real need in their life. That's why we see Jesus interacting with people that no one else would ever interact with. And I don't know about you, but I really struggle with this. I struggle to see beyond the surface of a person's life. A great example of Jesus doing this is when he's speaking to the uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Here's this woman. She's a Samaritan. She has had five husbands. She's now living with a husband who's not her own. The disciples come, and they come upon Jesus interacting with this woman. And what do the disciples see? The disciples see a Samaritan adulterous sinner. Jesus, however, is merciful and he saw he saw beyond her sin he saw her greatest need her need for a savior and he revealed himself to her and he showed her forgiveness he showed her true love he spoke words of life and acceptance to her he showed her mercy do you see beyond the sin of the non, of the non-christians in your life do you see that their greatest need is for a savior I read a quote this week that really challenged me and convicted me in this area. The author, speaking of this beatitude, said this. You know, it's common to hear, judge the sin, not the sinner. Anybody heard that? Raise your hand if you've heard that. I won't ask you raise your hand if you've said that, because I'm about ready to criticize that statement. <laughs> I've said that before. We say that all the time, right? Judge the sin, not the sinner. Here's what this author said. He said, it's common to hear that, but I believe that because mercy trumps judgment, Jesus would have said, don't judge the sin or the sinner. Just look beyond the sin until Jesus has their heart. He'll take care of the sin and the sinner. Wow. Isn't that good? I almost want to read that again. I think you got it. So often with non-Christians, I don't know about you, but I judge both their behavior and their beliefs. And what I see is their need to believe differently or behave differently. But that's not what their real need is, is it? Their real need is not to believe a certain set of beliefs that I want them to believe or behave a certain way. Their real need is to meet Jesus and to encounter Him. When they meet Jesus, He takes care of the rest. So let me challenge you this morning. Let us be challenged to be merciful toward the non-Christians in your life, to see beyond their sin and see that their real need is to encounter the living Jesus Christ. And this goes not just for the non-Christians in our life, but for Christians as well. I was recently in public with a couple of uh, Christian friends of mine. And I overheard one of my friends making fun of another person who was standing not too far from us. My friend was laughing and criticizing this other guy's appearance. And my internal response was one of great frustration. I immediately began to judge my friend. I immediately, in my own thoughts, began to criticize his immaturity. I came to some quick conclusions about him and what he needed in his walk with God. And then I caught myself. (laughs) I was so quick to see his sin and to judge him and to punish him with my thoughts. I was doing the very thing that I thought didn't want him to do. And see... We so often see sin, we make a judgment about someone, and occasionally we may have the nerve to actually say something about it. And at times that's appropriate to do so. But I think Jesus would say, see beyond the sin. Now catch me, I'm not saying dismiss the sin. I am not saying dismiss the sin. I'm saying see beyond it. Jesus never dismissed the sin. He called the Samaritan woman at the well he said, go leave your life of sin. He called her to repentance, but he saw beyond the sin. I want to be like that. Don't you? Don't you want to be like Jesus and see past people's sin? So who in your life right now? Who in your life right now that, that you maybe need to see past their sin? Not dismiss it, but see beyond it. And maybe it's a friend or maybe it's your spouse. Uh, maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's your dad or your mom. Maybe it's one of your children. And their sin has really hurt you, and it's really had a negative impact on your life, and it really weighs on your heart and your mind. It's been real. It's no small sin. It's impacted you. But maybe this, maybe this morning God's asking you to be like Jesus and be merciful and see beyond their sin. Jesus was able to see beyond other sin, and we ought to as well. Now, he was able to do that, though, because he was motivated by compassion. That's the second point today, that mercy is always motivated by compassion. When Jesus looked over Jerusalem and saw people who were harassed and helpless, he wept over them. Think about that. When Jesus saw people who were harassed and helpless, he wept for them. He wept for them because of his great compassion for them. You know, one of my favorite parables that Jesus told was the one uh, we often refer to as the prodigal son. It's found in Luke chapter 15. Just remind you of the story. The son goes to his father and he asks for his inheritance and he leaves his, he gets his father's inheritance. He takes his wealth and he leaves his father. It was a way in that day and time of rejecting his father. And he rejects his father and he goes lives his own life. And he, he lives his life and he lives a wild life and he squanders his wealth and he ends up tending to pigs, which would just would have been the low point of, of, of his life and, and a low point for him. And, and he's in the muck and the mud and he comes to his senses and decides, I'm going to go back to my father. Uh, his servants have it better than me. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to turn and go to him. And so he, that's what he does. He gets up out of the mud and he turns and he heads back to his father. But here's why I share that story with you. I share that story because I want you to see and hear how the father responds. In Luke 15, 20, it says, but while he was a long way off, His father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and then ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. I love that. His father saw beyond his sin, and he was filled with compassion, and he moved toward him. Now, let me ask you this. Um, What does compassion look like on someone's face? Um, I, when I was in college, I took American Sign Language uh, as my language in college. I took four semesters of that you may not have known that that was uh, you, know, you could take uh, sign language for uh, for a, your foreign language, but I did. And uh, and throughout that class, I did a really good job on that in, in that class. I got a good grade, but it wasn't because I really learned sign language. It was because I speak with lots of expression because they teach you in sign language in sign language that uh, about seventy five percent of communicating to those who cannot hear, is facial expression, All right? And so I, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. And so I, I got a B, like, as soon as I just entered the class, right? <laughs> I, I'm like, this is a no-brainer. Uh, but, okay, so let me ask you something. What does compassion look like on someone's face? Can you imagine that? When you see someone having compassion, when the father had compassion for the prodigal son, or when Jesus looks out over a crowd of people and has compassion... What are the features on their face? What does their expression look like? You kind of got, got an expression of compassion in your mind right now? I want to remind you this morning. When God looks at you, that's expression on his face. Have you ever wondered how God feels and expression on God's face when he looks at you? The Bible says in Psalm 139 that he sees us. That God sees you. He's a seeing God. He sees us and he looks at you. Have you ever wondered what, he's, what expression is on his face when he looks at you? I believe it's one of compassion. Psalm 86.15 says this, You, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. You're slow to anger and you're abounding in love and faithfulness. Psalm 103 verse 13 says this, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. I don't think it's any accident that the primary way God, the primary way Jesus instructed us to relate to God was that of a loving heavenly father. It says, our father knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The word compassion means to have tender affection. It means to have your heart go out towards someone. That just as God has compassion for us, he calls us to have compassion for others. But I think maybe the beginning part is beginning to understand that God has tender affection towards us and that his heart goes out towards us and that when he sees us, his heart and his face communicates compassion. And biblical compassion isn't just a warm feeling. It's not about having a nice, fuzzy feeling. It's a feeling that motivates, that is motivated to action. When the father saw his prodigal son, he was filled with compassion and he took action. He ran to him. And that word, that phrase, he threw his arms around him and kissed him, it essentially just means he embraced his son, that he moved towards him. Love always moves towards another. And that's what God did for us. He had compassion for us. He moved towards us. Mercy takes action. And that's point number three. Take action. Jesus always took action. We see this over and over again in his life. When he looked over the crowds, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What did he do? Well, right after that, he sent out his disciples and said, go take the good news to them. When Jesus encountered the adulterous woman, he spoke words of life to her. When he, gave, when he uh, encountered the blind man, he gave him sight. He, ra- he raised the widow's dead son to life. He fed the crowds. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. He took action. And so should we. And so if someone criticizes you and tears you down with their words, instead of retaliating, show mercy by building them up and finding something encouraging to say to them. If someone mistreats you, show mercy by praying for them. If someone is impatient with you, show mercy by being patient. If someone is greedy towards you, show mercy by being generous towards them. If someone is unkind to you, show mercy by being kind. If someone rejects you, show mercy by accepting them. This is what mercy is. It's seeing a need. It's seeing beyond the sin. It's being motivated by compassion, and it's taking action. Let me ask you, if I had to ask, if, I had to, if you had to rate yourself, evaluate yourself, which of the three are most difficult for you? Think about that. What's most difficult? Is it seeing the need? Is it seeing beyond the sin? Is that what's most difficult for you? That's, that is for me. Maybe you're a person you're able to see beyond the sin and you're able to see a person's real need, but maybe you struggle with compassion. Maybe oftentimes you see, their, uh, you see beyond, but you still, you still struggle with judgment and criticism. Or maybe you're often filled with compassion, but you really struggle when it comes to actually taking action. You're not sure you know what to do. Let me just encourage you. Don't overthink it. Simply move towards the person. This is what mercy does. This is what God did for us. And so who in your life today do you need to show mercy to? You know, when you and I were sick and dying from our sin, God saw us helpless and hellbound, And he would have been justified to turn his back on us. But he didn't do that, did he? Instead, he had compassion on us. And he didn't sit idle. Instead, he took action. He literally stepped out of heaven, out of his rightful place of glory and honor, and he stepped into our mess. And he stepped into our lives. And he showed us how to live. And he modeled a perfect, blameless life for us. And he modeled a perfect sacrifice for us. He took on our sin, our punishment that we rightly deserved. And God allowed himself to be killed to save you and to me and all of humanity as mercy. Our debt was forgiven, our punishment was withheld, and we were shown kindness even when wrath would have been justified. And what does God require of us? That we act justly, that we love mercy, and that we walk humbly with our God. God has been merciful towards us. And he desires for us to be merciful toward others. You know, if you've never given your life over to the Lord, um, I'd love to talk with you about your relationship with the Lord this morning. Uh, If there's anything we can be praying about for you this morning, I'll be standing up here after service. Uh, If there's an area of your life where you need to grow in mercy and you want to share that and you want to ask for prayer, we'd love to pray for that. But I just want to encourage you to show mercy as God's shown mercy to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that you showed us in Jesus Christ. I thank you that uh, on the cross we saw the greatest act of mercy man has ever known. Lord, would you open our hearts and minds and help us to really grasp how much you love us? Would you help open our hearts and minds to the reality that when you look at us, you are filled with compassion towards us and that you take action every day in our lives. You show mercy towards us. Your mercies are new every day. Lord, help us to take that in and help us to experience that reality in our own lives. And Lord, would you help us extend that mercy to others? Lord, there may be somebody on our hearts and minds today who you're calling us to show mercy. Lord, would you give us the compassion we need, and would you give us the courage we need to take an action step towards them. And I pray, God, that our lives would bear much fruit and that our lives would bring you glory and honor. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.